Welcome everybody to this episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. Today I have with me Lindsay Campbell. She is the Director of Customer Success for EMEA for the Tanzu Business Unit at VMware. She has also been the Scotland Women in Technology chairperson for the recent five and a half years. Welcome Lindsay. Thank you Ronka, it's a pleasure to be here. It's great to, uh, to have you here and thank you for giving us your time. Please start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay, with, with pleasure. Um, it's a real delight. And, and first of all, I'll kick off with saying thank you so much for taking the time to create these episodes. It's a real pleasure to be part of this and to be invited along today to share my story, which I hope will uh, inspire others. Um, so as you said, my name is Lindsay and at the moment <clears throat> my role is to lead customer success for one of the largest software companies in the world. Um, I look after the Europe, Middle East and Africa region, which is quite a broad region of different countries, different languages, different cultures. And so um, to have a role that spans that, it has been a real education in itself, not just from a technology perspective, but also understanding the various different nuances of, of how people work and do business in this broad region. Um, so a little bit about myself, uh, I have had quite a non-traditional route into technology and maybe we can talk a little bit more about that as we go through. At the moment I am first and foremost mum to two gorgeous little girls, they are identical twins, um, they are seven and they are currently at school. So um, working in the kind of remote nature, uh, I can speak highly enough of the education sector and the girls having the ability to be in school um, and that we can work from home and sort of balance that. Uh, but I've, I, you know, I've, I've been a working mum full time the entire time that I've had the girls and um, that has been a learning experience in itself also. I'm married um, to Murray, he also works from home full time in a fintech company and um, other than that, you know, other than my job, my hobbies include trying to use my Peloton, um, going for nice walks. I'm very lucky that I live in Scotland in Glasgow and where we live, there's some really beautiful kind of woodland walks and, and nature nearby. So I really enjoy getting out and looking at trees. I find that to be a very, very settling and humbling experience to be part of the trees and uh, music. Uh, music's always been a big passion of mine so I used to sing a lot when I was younger and during lockdown I decided that I needed to find something to tap into my joy something that gave me personal joy that wasn't work or family related and so I found my singing voice again and decided to do online singing lessons and so that you know at the moment I just sing on my own but I'm hoping that um post-pandemic, I could maybe join something like a choir and exploit that little side of myself that I really enjoy. So they're kind of my main hobbies and interests, family, work and singing. And, uh, and yeah, and my other big passion <clears throat> is um, equality um, or equity and diversity in the workplace and inclusion. Um, whatever term we want to call it, for a, for a long, long time, I've been passionate about creating um, a happy and equal working environment. Uh, to begin with, that journey took me very much in a gender representation journey with women in technology because that's who I was and where I worked. But that journey through the past 10 years has 
given me so many insights into beyond labels. Um, what does it mean to be a genuinely equitable human being who just wants to be curious and engage in the world? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I am at the moment. I'm exploring what that means for me and my passions mm -hmm. and how I can be a role model for that behavior and a leadership role in a large company. So uh, lots, I'm sure, Ronka, that we can talk about with that. Yeah. You touched on so many different <clears throat> and very interesting topics that I would love to explore with you. I'll start out with your two little twin girls because <laughs> they're growing up in a household with two parents who work in tech. Yes. And um, so obviously they have this role models um, for going into tech. And I was mm -hmm. wondering from your history, did you have that as a little girl? Because you said you had a non-traditional route into technology. I did. I did. Um, so I've got quite an interesting um, backstory, which I think could be useful and maybe inspiring for individuals who could be listening to this who have no idea how they could get into technology so um at school i i was very much <clears throat> i was very much into things like art and languages you know I, I didn't do well at mathematics at school i did enjoy biology but the sciences weren't something i was particularly strong in or i didn't believe to be i wasn't and i was brought up in a household a very working class household with a mum who you know worked on a factory floor and a dad who um, was a, an engineer but in quite a low paid job so so my and I was an only child no brothers or sisters so so my background nobody in my family had gone to university nobody had ever worked in technology the only thing I would say that maybe piqued my interest is um my dad used to get me to help him he used to work on old school cash registers if you remember mm -hmm like you know the ones with the actual buttons and I so he used to fix them up um and when I was little he used to give me pocket money if I could like program in the the text that would come up on mm -hmm. the and I and I always remember my mum actually got me a thing called my first computer when I was little we used to press a button and it used to come up with the spelling of the word so the only things I can associate with any sort of passion and technology were those two things but certainly um I, did, I wasn't given a huge amount of encouragement um, and due to various different personal issues that happened at home, I ended up deciding to run away from home when I was 16. So um, I, I moved from Scotland to England, lived in Liverpool, um, no money, mm -hmm. and had to try and find a way to not be homeless. And so I managed to get a job in a local fast food restaurant and I got a job as a, a cleaner. Um, and for some reason at age 16 I just managed to make it work so I remember looking in the local paper and there was an advertisement for IT trainees for the millennium bug so I'm showing my age now Ronka that um, <laughs> I was 17 at that time and the salary was quite attractive and so I bravely decided that I was going to apply for this job having no experience and I didn't even really know what IT was to be honest but there must have been some higher purpose that was kind of like push, taking me on this journey. So um, it was with a company called United Biscuits, who are still in operation now, and they own like KPN and McVitie's and lots of crisp and biscuit brands. Mm -hmm. So I remember going to the assessment centre and being the youngest there. Um, they were doing logical reasoning, aptitude tests, all kinds of traditional assessment centre psychometric tests and I remember going through this for maybe about a week 
and it was 500 applicants and there was eight places eight traineeship places and, and I got one of them wow and uh, one of my uh, now now friends who was a, an interviewer at that time said to me she'll she'll still say it now she's one of the most amazing women I've ever met she laughs and says we were all just blown away that this little 17 year old from Glasgow just walked in and just breezed through the whole assessment center and at that time I didn't know that I could do that job I didn't know that I was able to do that I didn't know that I had high logical reasoning mm -hmm. it was very much fate that, that brought me to that point and so then I learned COBOL too so I could probably earn quite a, a lot of money consulting some mainframe organizations or have a sideline job but I learned COBOL and I remember being stuck in a room for three months. So sorry, I'm probably stereotyping uh, technology. Don't let me do that. But <laughs> at that point at 17, that wasn't particularly exciting. You know, just looking through a, a terminal with lots and lots of green and black code mm -hmm. and printing things out in a dot matrix printer. That's how long ago this was. But we successfully didn't, nothing happened for the millennium bug. So you've got me to thank for the fact that biscuits still exist. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll take the credit for that. But yeah, I mean, as I say, Ronka, a very non-traditional route. And actually what I discovered at a very young age in technology was that I was, there was eight trainees, two girls, six men, boys. And um, there was definitely a divide. I felt at that point that the, the guys always got it quicker and they always progressed quicker. And it just took us, or it seemed to take us a little bit longer to get things. And so that kind of made me feel like, boys were better at technology than girls even when I took that job and so that was a difficult sort of stereotype for me to personally shift over the time and I'll come to what made the shift for me and mm -hmm. um, what I discovered was that I loved talking more than I loved coding um, and a few other people noticed that and so I got moved into a systems analyst role where I spent more time working with um, internal employees, like people that were creating the recipes in factories and the marketing departments to understand how our system supported them. Mm -hmm. So I became less like sort of back-end coder and more in front of the user, um, writing specifications and um, creating the programs that would you know, take the company forward. So that was kind of my career for the first point in time and I don't want to take up too much time going over history but over time I ended up taking on more and more roles which were about bringing business and people into the code and in the early 2000s agile wasn't really a thing yet so I was very much a bit of a disruptor in that space because I would get involved in projects where people wanted to write the spec for six months mm -hmm. and then write the code and I started to push for why can we not just write like the first three pages and then try something out and what I realized is that I was probably part of a very early movement that was looking to bring that agile mindset into the organization so I went on a journey where eventually agile became a thing and I became an agile coach and scrum master and all the good stuff and uh, and then I landed in cloud for some reason um, I was doing product management and mobile technology I was asked to move to cloud because Traditionally, infrastructure was seen as a non-product development area of an organization. However, because we were developing cloud products and platform as a service, they asked me to go in as a product owner to create something that developers would want to use. And that was at my time at JP Morgan when I did that. 
uh, and had a great journey there actually learning so much about infrastructure and application development and how when they work together they're very powerful but when they're created in silos they can go really wrong mm -hmm. so I spent a lot of time there ended up working with Pivotal and that that took me to VMware and, and the rest is history and through that time all through that technology career I meandered through various roles various technologies one thing remained consistent was that I kept identifying that there wasn't an equal and balanced workforce and that sometimes I had to be one of the boys to get on and um, a big switch came for me when I realized that being me got me further than not being me okay so mm -hmm. there was a I, I used to always conform so if I was in a team of men I would like be one of the guys or mm -hmm. if I was in this particular group I would be a bit of a chameleon mm -hmm. and I thought that that was a way of me getting on and actually um, I had a really good mentor that said actually in the times that you're just you and you're unapologetic for your background and you're not ashamed to say that you got it wrong and you bring that energy to the to the room that's that's the you that is really powerful and it was it was a real turning point for me that I decided okay I'm going to be me now in technology I don't fit into a technology box right because I'm I'm the complete opposite end of the spectrum to a traditional what you would say is a traditional yeah. logical um <clears throat> technologist but at the same time I bring so much to that I bring a lot of empathy and insight and creativity that doesn't usually exist in these fields mm -hmm. and uh, and from the moment I started to be me and really embrace that and use it as my superpower it uh, was the moment that my, my career really took off and I started to get much more leadership positions and I started to attract more people from different walks of life that wanted to work with me and I, and I feel very proud of that so it's a bit of a long-winded walk through my career journey but I've learned so much in that time. And now that I'm into my 40s and I'm kind of at a more senior level in my career, I see the rest of my career as a way to just give that back somehow. I'm not really in this any longer for where I can get to. I'm in it now for how many people I can bring along with me. So that's kind of where I am in, in my career at the moment. Yeah, I don't think this was a long winded story. It was really, really empowering. And I, there's so much in that story that I don't even really know where to start, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I, the beginning of your story starts with um, the fact that you didn't know what IT was. And I think this is still very true for a lot of women nowadays that and a lot of people actually, but a lot of women, especially mm -hmm. that they have no clue when we say we need more women in tech, what mm -hmm. tech actually is mm -hmm. and what IT actually is. And this is what we are trying to do here. Give them an idea what is possible in tech, what this means. Mm -hmm. Then I recall that you said the first uh, couple of years in tech were, you know, like the stereotype. And this is also the stereotype. If people know something about tech, this is the stereotype. Someone sitting in front of the computer coding something, not talking to anyone. Mm -hmm. And this is also something I feel that a lot of women don't find particularly interesting, just like you didn't. I personally didn't either. Mm -hmm. So um, I love that this is inside your story as well. And then I love the whole um, fact that you as a 17 year old with no background in IT went to that assessment center mm -hmm. and um, just kind of breezed through the whole thing and into this tech career, you know, and uh, that, that that is such a unique 
story, I think. I mm -hmm. haven't heard anything like that before. And it says a lot about you, I think, even if you don't don't necessarily see it. It sees that you were quite brave also. Mm -hmm. I mean, and also there's an aspect I see that is um, luck in careers. You know, people always forget to talk about how lucky they got. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people just talk about what they have achieved, but they don't talk about the fact that they were in the right place or read the right ad Absolutely. or talked to the right person at the Absolutely. right moment. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I've been, I've been, I've been very lucky um, to be in certain right places at the right time. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, I think that I, I can see merit in people who say you create your own luck, but I can also see merit in having the grace to acknowledge the fact that certain times it has just been luck so I think it's a mix of both yeah but but certainly from my point of view it's been a mix of bravery and luck and mm -hmm. and stepping into something that I believe truly sits with my purpose mm -hmm. uh the the kind of harmony of that has has been the key driving force behind a career that not only outsiders would deem to be successful mm -hmm. but I can personally stand next to and say that I'm proud to, to do this work and I think that's really important and I think that very few people are fortunate enough to have those decisions you know so I feel very lucky and that's why I say I now acknowledge that so fully that I now want to use my position as a way to say how do I create that space for others where they might not have been as fortunate to have been in the right place or had the right mentor but you know but at the same time I want to be a role model that says I came from completely, if you wrote this down on paper, you would not put me in a technology career from where I came from at all. Mm -hmm. But I've, I've aced it. I've not only just done it, I've done really well. And actually, over time, I didn't compromise on the things that made me me that weren't traditionally tech. And I'm still doing well. So I'm kind of all about abolishing that stereotype and that perception, even within technology, that you've got to have a computer science degree or I, I in no way say that they're, they're not great things to have, but it's not the only thing, the only way. There's alternative ways. And if we embrace that, we have a, a wonderful uh, proposition for the world where you're bringing different experiences and walks of life alongside very clever and logical things mm -hmm. and making new and innovative things. You know, that's what I'm really sort yeah. of passionate about. And I wholeheartedly agree to everything you said. And what I also love about your story is that you said that finding your authentic self and living that authentic self made you even more successful. Mm -hmm. So um, especially as a woman in tech, it's not yeah. easy necessarily to be authentic. So um, it's, it's just great to have someone as a role model for, you know, this working out um, in, in terms of, of career success, showing who you are, speaking from the heart, speaking about stuff that is important for you. And um, what I also feel is that there is a connection between your um, authenticity and your wish to bring more women into technology, because what makes you authentic and special in tech, I think there are a lot of characteristics that are female characteristics right like mm -hmm. you talked about empathy and communication and all these things so is this uh, talking about these kinds of skills that are not tech skills you know um can you talk a little bit about why you think this these skills are necessary and something we definitely need nowadays in tech because i think that's also something to understand that's not just because we want to have more women around us but because we feel that these are things we need inside the tech space 
Absolutely. And I think that particularly in technology, one thing that I've observed over the, the rapid acceleration of where, where I began in technology and where we are now in, in terms of how much, sorry, excuse me, let me think, how much um, that, that technology is basically part of our everyday life. Um, one of the things that I've been getting and recently been getting quite interested and involved in speaking about is, is around ethics and AI and um, the way that technology is starting to make more automated decisions for society. Mm -hmm. And so now more than ever, I think that there needs to be that very human, very ethical aspect to technology. And, you know, I, I've, I've been speaking in other circles about the fact that, you know, I'm a big believer in, in equality. So I think everyone has something to bring to the table. But in that respect, women have so much more that they can bring to the table in terms of that, that heightened awareness of the impact things would have on society. And that's alongside that empathy aspect. That's not to say that I haven't worked with many men who've demonstrated the same behaviours, but if we look at it at a very sort of basic level, fact evidence shows that women do tend to more consistently demonstrate that behaviour. And so for me, if you can find, you know, women who, who have that natural ability, who also um, are, are willing to learn and have a curious mindset, then nothing is impossible. And, and I think that the more that I'm really interested, maybe you've heard this in some of your other talks, Ronka, but there's so many examples in society where things have been developed by a team of same-sex individuals mm -hmm. um, or representation of very, very similar age, demographic, gender. And just it's been completely, they've developed something that they were no way intended to be an inclusive, but was completely not inclusive. And when you challenge them, they go, oh, I didn't even think. Yeah. And, and I'm like, you should not be vilified. Of course you didn't think because your entire team was made up of people who don't think that way. That's why it's so important to have both women and, and diverse teams involved because any product that's being created with a technology aspect being used by society must be developed by a representation of who they're delivering to. Otherwise, you're literally baking in exclusivity from the day one. I mean, I, I think it would be much nicer if it was called out, because the thing is, we don't have a technology talent pipeline where we can say we're going to be 50-50 next year. So, you know, products are still going to get developed. But I, I would much rather that these things were called out on day one so that everyone's aware rather than making the assumption that a team of, of like-minded, similar demographic individuals can create something for society and it's going to be okay. I think making that assumption is more destructive than actually just having the, having the ability to um, call it out from day one. Because that's, that's, the, that's the paradigm that I've always operated in. It's wonderful to stand up and talk about equality and equity and gender diversity. But time and time again, I don't see the university numbers. I don't see the recruitment numbers. And so we can't just say, oh, well, something else. You can't just forget the problem because we can't fix the pipeline. You've then got to say, OK, in a world where it's still going to be imbalanced, what's the best we can do to make mm -hmm. that more inclusive? What's the best we can do? And so that's kind of a, a place that I've, I've liked to be in discussions because I think all too often organizations tend to enjoy looking at facts and figures and then using that as a way to then go, well, that's not yeah. fixable. Yeah. 
when in actual fact, how do we work with the majority and make a difference despite this? Yeah. You know, that's the kind of that's kind of where I like to be using that sort of it's an and 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 not a until then or an and or if you know what I mean. It's a very good point, and I love that you brought that up because we all know that there at the moment we have a pipeline problem, and that is something we we are trying to change, obviously. But um, just the fact that we don't have gender parity doesn't mean that we don't have the possibility to influence tech uh, by by maybe listening more to people who belong to the diverse pool, like listening more to women or younger people or people of other cultures. I mean that would already help even if we don't have like 50 50 um, at the moment so absolutely absolutely why not use the, the people that we do have mm -hmm. to help inform the things where we've acknowledged that there's going to be a bias or an unconscious bias or whatever we want to call it mm -hmm. uh, i think if that was called out more often at the beginning from an ethical standpoint we don't we don't need diverse development teams to create diverse products we just need to make sure from the very beginning we put ethics at the core of what we start to do. That's more important. So I couldn't be more uh, supportive of, of that and, and, and trying to be uh, an instigator in that space as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And that can be quite difficult because, as we know, as women in technology, you know, it's I, I really want to encourage more women into technology but at the same time what we also must acknowledge is that women get asked to do a whole lot more right so not only are you asked to do your job and probably do it 120 percent of the better time than the man does that's just because of natural biases that exist in these male-dominated structures but also then that you're asked to be the woman who talks at the conferences and be the woman who writes the blog posts and be the woman who sits on the DNI. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I've, I've been part of DNI groups in various companies for many years. And I always look around the room and go, 95% hmm, women, 5% men. I never really see the shift in equal representation, even at that point. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think there de definitely needs to be a change in the future. And I push back on this as much as possible, where I say, I acknowledge that we have a concern, but it's not my problem to fix. The yeah. minority are not here to educate you on how you act better towards us. Mm -hmm. You need to take the responsibility to educate yourself and make space for us to be able to just do our job yeah. and so I'm also now becoming more of an advocate for um, putting accountability where it should be rather than taking on the responsibility of fixing a problem that I didn't start Mm -hmm. You know, so because I'm the woman in the minority, you can start the women in tech network, right? Or yeah, you can yeah. start this network. And I'm a bit like, should it be me? I mean, I don't have an issue. I love women. I am a woman. I want more women. But I mean, I can I can go and work with these 20% women, but it's the 80% over there. That's kind of where you need to go and do the work. Yeah. Not in this group. And that's the thing. And I think a few years ago I was part of women should have more of a voice, women should be put on confidence workshops. Mm. I'm like, really, you know, is that where we need to fix the problem? I mean, that's, I could go into so much with you, Ronk, on that, but yeah. in, in my career, you know, it's been a real education in terms of the word inclusion and how organisations view that in terms of where the problem should be fixed. Mm. Or who I should be fixed. totally agree on that. And that's mm. actually really a very good point, because that's what we see. We have all these programs and then we have all these women in these programs doing all kinds of initiatives and everybody seems to be kind of ignoring them, you know, like so 
they have their thing, they're doing it, and we're and then the company has the possibility to show that off. We have, we're doing this and this and this, but then in the end, it doesn't change anything because, as you said, the people who should be doing the initiatives and who should be doing the trainings and all that are not the women. They don't have an issue with each other. <laughs> exactly, and, and that, that's the thing. You know, I think that I think the more that the more that we are able to make that point yeah. the more that change will be seen you know I, I i genuinely don't think there's any i don't think anyone organizations or majorities or anyone is intentionally going out with these no. particular mindsets but it's more knowing where to draw a line knowing where to set a boundary knowing where to ask a challenging question mm -hmm. and so rather than saying you know women need to have more of a voice or be trained in how to be a leader it's more no women and underrepresented minorities need to need to be given the support to be able to say no and to be able to push back and be able to challenge in front of people in a call that's the things that i would want to coach individuals on is more like personal resiliency and letting somebody know whatever you decide to challenge i've got your back like mm -hmm. i'm here for you and and please know that your point is respected and welcome that's more powerful than saying let's form a group and let's listen to you all and hear all your bad stories mm -hmm. it's like no Very true let, let's create a movement where you are completely and utterly um you know supported to make a point and and to and to educate others yeah so yeah. i think that that's the next evolution of where that space needs to go to yeah. for women I totally agree. And this is something where we need to go. At the moment, we both still work very strongly in this women in technology mm -hmm. networks. And mm -hmm. I think you are also part of a lot of initiatives there, right? Because that's still something we need to do, try to find the next generation somewhere. We do, uh -huh, absolutely. And, and that's the thing, as much as sometimes I would like to walk away and say, do you know what, this isn't my issue to fix, this should be somebody else. At the same time, what I've acknowledged is that, you know, I've kind of gone on a journey. So initially I was very much like, take a stand, come on women, let's do this and let's inspire more women. But then what I discovered was, you know, we were, bring, we're bringing lots of women in, but are we really understanding what their experience is when they join? Because you're bringing all these new women that we fired up and got inspired to learn tech and come in. But then we're putting them into like male male only teams so they're the first women coming in or the first underrepresented minority mm -hmm. and then um, we're not training that team on how to welcome somebody different into the team and so then that person has a really difficult experience and we're not training them on how to cope with challenging situations so that's where i say we focus on the number and like oh we've recruited 10 percent yeah. extra of x but then my question would be, and what training did we give to the incumbent teams and what sort of um, support around resiliency did we give to the individual as they came into that team? So that's that's an interesting challenge and something that I then couldn't walk away from in terms of asking people that question. Then my journey took me on the majority, which is we keep on creating these groups for women and, and I found that I kept creating events about women in tech, even though we invited everyone in the company, women would attend only women. And so then I started asking some of my male mentors and leaders, you know, why? Well, I mean, it was called women in tech, so I didn't assume it wasn't for me. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, OK, interesting. Mm -hmm. And also, um, you know, so that, that 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 gave me a lot of insight, and I thought, how do we harness the power of the majority? And it was really interesting. I I did an event once where I asked one of our really sort of prominent male leaders in a previous company that I worked with to 
um, sit and share a story of equality and talk about his own daughters, because he had daughters that were going through university. And we had an audience of men and they all kind of said afterwards, the fact that that resonated was because we realized that we're not just men in the workplace, but we've actually got wives and daughters and sisters and mums and aunties and cousins who are also women that could have that experience. And so I think we need to stop like compartmentalizing the working man and actually open it up to, no, this is just a man and woman thing in general, yeah. you know? And, and, and I think that was a very, that was a very interesting point in my journey was to start to think about how we open the dialogue and bring people in mm -hmm. rather than focusing on only supporting. I think we, we need a balance of both. You need to support the, the, the group who are not represented in the right way but then you also need to find a way to to get into the hearts and the minds of a majority so that they go mm, okay uh, this is worth listening to or this is relevant to me or this is something that I want to really believe in and take action on and I think all too often we focus on one or the other and to influence the majority sometimes seems too hard and so we just go mm, we won't we won't touch that whereas I think that's more powerful that's an interesting aspect because it shows that we also have our assumptions and unconscious biases on the other hand, because what we do is we assume that when we, uh, you know, highlight these problems that we have, that men automatically understand that the women in their life would also have the same issues. Uh -huh, That's uh -huh. just an assumption we're making, but uh -huh. it's not necessarily true. So this no. is very powerful, you know, uh -huh. trying to make them understand, the majority understand that this is not uh, the issue of the minority but of the entire group and maybe there are other people women underrepresented uh, minorities in their um circle that might face these issues and that would make it much more approachable for many people you know understanding that this is not just these couple of women's in, in, in women in their team that are facing this but this is a cultural thing so it's, it's, it's and that's the thing there's the, the change, societal change and cultural change is like multi, multi, multi-dimensional. You know, what will mean one thing to one will mean something to another. You can never have that universal, I'm going to sp speak to this room and they're all going to feel the same way or they're all going to want to change. Everyone's going to have their own reaction and that needs to be acknowledged and respected. Everyone's going to go on their own journey. I mean, I know some male leaders who I felt were kind of set in their ways for many years uh, and, and actually um, <laughs> amazingly this is not the same person but I worked with many male leaders in, in one of my previous companies and actually some of the male leaders that I worked with ended up leaving that company um, creating a men for inclusion group and writing a book all about like um, sexism in the workplace and like how men maybe just don't realize sometimes what they're actually doing and so they wrote a book to kind of educate men on like these are some of the things that you'll just have been used to doing but in actual fact that the moment you take a step back and think about that it actually is not inclusive so there's been amazing like things like that in my life that have happened where I'm like wow like this is somebody who at the very beginning would probably admit that they didn't get it and have had a complete shift to the other side and left their job and started companies to educate men. So I've had that experience, which has been amazing. But I've also had like worked with many, many like male leaders who um, I've maybe not had the bravery to call something out. And the moment I did, they've immediately said, oh, wow, like I wish you'd said that sooner because I just didn't even think. And, you know, I've probably done that too as a woman. I mean, something that I'd love to share is that even looking at the women in tech journey, 
I very much went into that thinking women, one word, women's one word. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's a multi broad spectrum. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to avoid labels these days, but I also want to kind of give respect to a label, but at the same time, acknowledge the fact that a label isn't the only thing that defines somebody. Mm-hmm. And so like when I started to dig into like what matters to a woman, there's like, you know, mothers, there's different ethnicity, there's age, there's experiential, there's um interests and hobbies right so we I used to make this assumption that I w- we would need to hire a woman in technology right and then I would realize that we'd come in and we'd say you must join the women's group but actually that woman might come in and say I'm LGBT or I'm, I'm, I like m- music or I much prefer to identify as as a different gender or no gender and my journey with the word woman has been so amazingly like diverse in that in that word right and what that what that taught me over years was I need to stop sticking to the label and start thinking about the person right and and I think the more that we focus only on the label and I don't mean we shouldn't but what I mean is when we stop focusing only on that Mm -hmm. and start to look at it more from a sort of multi-dimensional point of view that's a completely different conversation So it's like, not how do we create an environment where women feel safer to work, but how do we create an environment where anyone can come in and have this a similar experience and have access to a similar experience? Mm -hmm. That for me is a much different, that's a very different conversation. And it opens up a much more powerful dialogue than, well, we need men to be trained and we need people not to use this language. No, like, let's think about this in a different way. So for me, I'm really sort of passionate about that as being like the next evolution of what we call DNI mm-hmm. and kicking it forward into a different level of progression um, mm-hmm. where we sort of create a level playing field for everybody. I'm, I'm very passionate about that. And that's a different discussion that I would love to have for another <laughs> half an hour, really. I know. I, I mean it, you know. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, we're on t- over time already. Oh, and- no, I can't believe it. It's been so yeah, good. Yeah. And so I, I, I just have to ask you my final question, mm-hmm. which ties back to, you know, this young woman coming that we made inter, um, enthusiastic about tech coming mm-hmm. into the workplace and um, then all of a sudden finding herself in this group of men who have not necessarily been trained or mm-hmm. um, have no clue what to do with her. Do you have any tips for her how to, to be more resilient, where to go to find help, maybe who to talk to or what to keep in mind? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think more than anything, invest more time in knowing who you truly are than who you think others need you to be. If I could go back and have that time again, I would have spent much more time on the introspection side of reading more and understanding truly like within my heart who I felt I was and what my purpose was. I think the moment, the, the, the quicker that you can get to that and know you, and understand who you who you are in the world and what you show up as everything else will fall into place and if it doesn't you'll know why I think it puts you in a much stronger place to deal with any situation so you could then go into a team full of people that are completely different to you but stay very true to who you are and I think that shines out much brighter to a room full of different individuals than coming in observing and feeling like you need to sort of shape yourself to be part of that crowd. And I think from an organization point of view, it's a very, very 
powerful thing to instill in every individual because the more people try and conform the less that company is going to innovate and create products that are going to represent a modern world and so for me as a leader i want everybody that comes into my team to know that i will invest as much time as you need in you getting to know you so that we can enjoy you in your best form um, rather than you ever feeling like you need to be like the others please spend that time on you and knowing you so that would be my like number one advice understand your purpose who you are and that you belong everywhere and nowhere and everything in between and that that's the most powerful thing yeah this is wonderful i love that as an end point of our our wonderful conversation so okay so much lindsay, lindsay was great thank, thank you, you for, for coming thank you for talking to me and giving me your time thank you thank you for doing this it's been incredible and i'm excited to hear more stories from other amazing women so thank you so much for doing this Monka, i really appreciate it